Retain Podcast. All right. Welcome back, everybody. This is Jay Nathan with another episode of the Gain, Grow, Retain Podcast. Today, I've got uh, with me a very special friend, somebody that I actually just had the opportunity to meet in person a couple of weeks ago for the first time. So I have with me Mike Sasaki from Inverse. So how you doing, Mike? Good to see you, man. Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks. I, th- I can't believe it was just a couple of weeks ago. We were in uh, Denver for the uh, Gain, Grow, Retain event. It was a great event, by the way. Yeah, I, I agree. It was a really, that was probably the best one yet. And for those who are listening, who have heard us talking and seen us posting, we've been actually, we've done five cities this year. We did, oh gosh, I'll try to rattle them off. Raleigh, Atlanta, um, Boston. Oh gosh. Denver. I'll put a request out there, and, Southern California yeah. at some point. Southern California? Okay, San Francisco. That was the other one. It was Northern okay. California. So yeah, we, uh, we definitely are, are overdue. Actually, San Diego would be a great place to do that because we've been looking for cities that, you know, New York, Boston, uh, San Francisco, they get everything, That's right? right? We thought this year was like, let's try out Atlanta. Let's try out Raleigh. Let's try out Denver. And those events, all of them have been great, Boston and San Francisco included, but those events that were in more of what you might think of as like the second tier tech hubs, really, really awesome. Then in Denver, by far, it knocked our socks off with the level of engagement. In fact, the number one piece of feedback we got, Mike, and you can attest to this, is that it was too loud and the space was too small. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And it wasn't a small space. It was a a lot of people there and a lot of engaged people. So it was was a great event. Yeah. Well, I was really glad that uh, we got to meet because you're not even from Denver, but you came to Denver for some other things and you were there and we had a we had a great time. So where where are you today? Yeah, I'm in San Diego, California. Um, So I'm a fan of uh, bringing the event to San Diego. That'd be that'd be great. Um, especially in the winter time, I think it would be, uh, well, I guess, you know, some people would fly out from, from other areas, but yeah, uh, San Diego is a great place, uh, year round. So that's where I am now. Awesome. Well, we'll have to keep San Diego on the radar for sure. As we head in 2024. So, um, tell us just a little bit real quickly, you're with Inverse today. What's your role there and what, you know, what sort of led up to your role at Inverse? What were you doing prior? Yeah, sure. So I joined Inverse in, uh, December. 2022. So it's been almost nine months to the day uh, that I've been here. Um, And my role is uh, vice president customer success. So I lead the global customer success team. Uh, It's a team of about 35 to 40 individuals. And prior to this, I was at MyTech for five plus years, almost six years. And that's a company based out of San Diego, uh, focused on um, uh, uh, mobile check deposit and identity verification. Very cool. What does Inverse do? Just to remind everybody. Yeah, it's uh, really, it's a playoff of reimburse, right? So um, expense management um, and everything that comes comes with that. So our, our the persona that we work with is, is mainly the finance teams. So yeah. the accounting teams, the finance teams, et cetera, on the other side, on the customer side. Awesome. And when you think about scaling customer success, we've been talking a lot about that, right? We talked about a GGR event. This seems to be the year where everybody is starting to pick their head up and and say like, okay, we've been doing this one way for a long time. Now we really need to think about how do we scale it and make it as effective as possible at the same time. What does that mean to you? Like when I say scaling customer success, how do you think about that? Yeah, it's really interesting. So that question brought me back because depending on when you asked me that question, I might have a different answer. And um, I, was, I was curious as, as well, your experience with that question, because scale has always been a question or a goal of teams, including customer success. And so when I think about what that used to mean, um, I think a lot of it was around um, how, do you, how do you address the needs of the long tail customers? That's one example. Um, and they were kind of done in pockets, not necessarily holistically. Um, and then the other one I, I thought about was uh, the CSM to account count or customer to CSM count. How do we get that from, you know, 15 customers per CSM to 50 customers per CSM and and still drive revenue and still drive NPS scores and things like that? Um, I, I, I want to say that, you know, that was a an immature way that I used to think about it, where it's like growth. How do we grow? How do we grow? How do we grow? But the question really is, especially in 2023, it's brought a lot more focus to what that really means. 
And it's how do we grow profitably, mm. right? So it's not just an operational thing. It's not just a customer count thing. It's let's just assume the budget's going to be the same next year for my team, my group. Um, how do I still drive NRR? How do I reduce churn? How do I improve NPS or whatever, you know, CSAT, uh, customer satisfaction survey you're using? Um, how do I lower the customer effort score? I think that's a big piece of mm -hmm. what's going to be in the future. So you can almost think about, um, I'm considering replacing NPS with some sort of customer effort score. Because at the end of the day, and there are plenty of studies about this, and I don't mean to get us on a tangent, but there are plenty of studies that show, you know, delighting customers, does that really drive the metrics you care about? It's expensive, but does that drive the metrics you care about? What's the most important thing? Customers, especially in the software that we, we have, they want the software, the product to work, and they want it to be really easy to do business with you, right? And so those are the things I'm thinking about. And, and that's how I'd answer the scaling question. Yeah, that that's fantastic. And one of the things you said there at the end really resonates with me, growing profitably. And so I think a lot of for a lot of years, when people say said the word scale, because everybody's sort of growing at this unbounded rate over the past 15 years. But when you say scale, that means something very specific. That means as the number of units go up, the cost per unit goes down right? No matter how many units you're doing. So you said like, okay, maybe my resources are going to be flat in 2024 from what they are today. Well, your customer count, I'm guessing is going to go up next year. I hope. Right. Right? We all yeah, know. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it's a matter, it's not doing more than less, more, more with less. I, I, I want to strike that out of our vernacular. I think it's yeah. about, it's about increasingly doing more, a little bit more every day with what we have today right that's right do it better with the same that's how i yeah, think yeah, about yeah, it yeah. better with the yeah. same that's a better yeah. way to put it yeah yeah that's how i think about it and then we'll transition to the different what does that mean in each phase right because it's not a one size fits all across a customer journey let's scale i think you have to realistically and part of the scaling strategy is you have to realistically look at the customer journey map and which part matters the most which phase matters the most in scaling and take it you know phase by phase Yep. Sometimes too, it's easy. Like if you have teams that are responding to inbound customer requests and you're tracking that data, support teams are really good at this, right? Because they should have a record of every case that comes through. They can easily say like, Hey, these three issues are causing 40% of our volume in support. I used to have this problem with a password reset at one of my prior companies. It was really hard. Believe it or not, it was a really hard problem for us to solve because our users weren't very sophisticated in that scenario. But the ability to point those things out and either have engineered solutions into the product or designing processes or enablement, scalable enablement that actually challenges that demand is really important. So I'm, I'm curious, as you have looked across the customer journey over the course of your career, and particularly what you're doing at Inverse now in MyTech, what are some of the processes where you've looked at it and said, okay, like there's an obvious like long pole in the tent that is taking more time than anything else, I'm going to try to scale that process. Does anything come to mind for you that you've sort of had experience across the customer journey in the past? Yeah, the number one thing for me or the number one number one phase is onboarding, um, um, yeah. the customer onboarding. And I think what you typically find is that um, there are a lot of teams involved that are very active and working very hard. So the intentions are always good, right? And they're wanting to help the customer. Um, but the customer doesn't, the customer should not have to know your org chart in order to get things done, right? That's the first thing. And the other part is that when you're onboarding customers, if you do it right, that sets you up. That sets the customer up and yep. the trajectory is much higher. And then you get into scalability because the customer is set on a, a much higher trajectory. And, and you, know, you don't have to worry about how do we scale way down the customer journey, right? So you've already That's done saving. it. You're not saving customers. You're actually setting them up to be successful from the beginning. Yeah. And, you know, it sounds simple when you say it because you're like, oh, yeah, I'd rather spend my time in onboarding than trying to save them. Like, it's good to be able to turn a customer red to green. Um, you need to be able to do that. But you shouldn't learn how to do that at scale. You're not really addressing the root cause there, right? Because they're getting to red. And that's, that's a problem. So you have to address it much earlier on. And onboarding is the perfect time. Uh, to think about scale and the customer experience and how you could be operationally interlocked 
with the with the very limited resources you have internally. So when you talk about optimizing onboarding, the thing that comes to mind for me is that it you probably want to have some specialization around that onboarding role in most companies. So how yeah. have you thought about specializing those resources versus having onboarding be a thing that a customer success manager does among a lot of other things? Great. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, when I've joined companies before, it's been on a lot of times it's on the implementation team to implement the customer. So we're talking about a lot of times a technical uh, solution. We're going to connect the pipes, right? And we'll get them live and that's success, which is true for implementation. But customer onboarding, if you think of a big circle, implementation is a piece, a big piece of customer onboarding, but there's change management, right? There's expectation setting, there's a great opportunity to connect with their executives. Um, and so the, the, the customer's highly motivated at that point. Um, and so that that's when I think about customer onboarding, this huge thing that needs to happen. And the end of customer onboarding is not go live. The end of customer onboarding is time to value right? Is that value part where they're achieving value or at least on the right trajectory um, of where they should be during that phase. That's when onboarding is done. And so it needs to be objective. It needs to be a number. Uh, maybe it's a transaction count and um, you know you can track that, right? Then you can measure it and you can improve it. So going back to your question, um, a customer success manager can be an onboarding manager, but they have to have these strong project management skills. They have to be able to have these difficult um, discussions with customers, maybe internally. They have to be able to organize and orchestrate things, coordinate things internally. Um, and it's a subset of CSMs. And so what I've done in the past is I've taken that subset, I've created onboarding manager roles, and that's what they do. They onboard customers and they have very um, uh, clear metrics like time to value. And, uh, and then that's what they do. They do it, you know, one after the other. They get a customer onboarded. They go back and take on another customer. Yep. That's awesome, man. And I, I've seen in many cases where, you know, you hear people, and this is usually earlier stage companies that that you see this, but this idea of a full stack, quote unquote, full stack CSM, right? That does onboarding, that does some support, that handles some renewals, relationships. It's, it's too much. It's a bunch of different work there. The big problem for me is that when something is coming in from an implementation standpoint, it means sales is likely closed a deal. And we actually, you don't have any choice but to get started on that immediately, right? So it's almost like a support case in that in that sense, and that it's urgent. It's yeah. a very urgent thing for you to hop on. Like you just mentioned, right? You're setting them up for success. The faster you do that, the better off the whole relationship is going to be. Now you contrast that with the other work that a CSM might do, which is a little bit more proactive, looking at metrics and usage and talking with customers to understand where they're having problems and then intervening, right? That's a whole different motion. And if you have to choose, if you're an individual contributor and you have to choose between those two activities in any given day, you're going to choose the thing that's most urgent, which is all the implementation, right? Correct. So then everything else is falling off, off of the off of the radar and maybe it doesn't get done. Have you seen it? Does that resonate with you, that description or? Yeah, it does. Because I think CSMs in general have just like, you know, I, I don't want to um, uh, discount the the amount of work other groups have. Right. But my, my view is the CSMs, because that's what I, I can see. And the amount of work is, is overwhelming. It's just going to get even, even more, which kind of leads to your, your point of like, we need to scale. Um, so you will choose the most urgent thing that I think that's human nature as well. Um, and so you, are focused on the onboarding customer and maybe not as much on your your uh, assigned customers that you have that are past onboarding. It's like it's like the Eisenhower matrix for customer success, urgent versus right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, all right. So, let's talk a little bit more about scaling in, in this whole implementation and onboarding phase of the journey. To me, it feels like one of the most difficult portions of the customer journey to uh, to scale just because usually in it, maybe it matters a little bit less if it's a high velocity, low dollar kind of product, but anything that's say above 10K ARR um, feels like it's a little bit harder to make that into a one-to-many activity or scale it. So 
just curious, like what have you seen in terms of scaling implementation and onboarding in your years? Anything that's worked for you? Yeah, there's, um, you know, it's uh, the future, if not the present of customer success is a hybrid approach. And so automation. Um, and I think, you know, what we used to do is we used to say tech touch is a solution for every, every, you know, all, that would be your, your entire engagement with the customer would be tech touch. Those days are gone. It needs to be a hybrid approach, right? So there's a lot you can automate. I think starting earlier. So even before they sign, um, starting with the onboarding and setting expectations, letting the customer know what they're going to go through. I think a big part of onboarding is communication. And you can certainly automate that as well. You can follow up with the human touch, but automating communication. Um, if the uh, um, if the program calls for certain motions or responsibilities or things that we need from the customer, making sure that not only is that communicated early on, but that you know certain alerts go off to customers, and you know maybe we have um, a set of reports that are also delivered to customers. Um, every Friday, you should have a report of how the week went delivered to the customer, right? There's no reason that can't be automated using a tool. Um, and then I think the other piece is uh, I mentioned communication, and I think that's an important piece that that is often lacking um, in any uh, programmatic or um, uh, consistent way when working with customers during onboarding. Yeah. You know, there, there's a whole asynchronous part of onboarding, too, that um, it sort of goes into that communication piece that you mentioned. It's almost like the initial training. Um, one of the things that our team did, I'm curious to get your feedback on this, is we noticed that our implementation managers were actually going in and the first thing that they were doing is holding a training session with the, with the customer, which is great, right? High touch training session. There's nothing wrong with doing that. We still do a lot of that. But what if you had a concise set of training materials that the customer could consume independently before they hopped on the phone with you just to get the basics? Right. What are we trying to accomplish? You know, what are the key pieces of terminology that we're going to be using? How do I just log into the platform? You know, the basic guided tour kind of stuff. Um, and the results of that have been good. And that that first session, instead of a training session, it becomes a workshop. And in the workshop, we're making, you know, five or seven key decisions about how we're going to go set up the workflows and the in the in the platform to meet their needs as opposed to doing training out of the gates. So yeah, that that's a great, great, um, you reminded me that having an LMS system or like a lot of times customers, they have this project handed to them. And like, you know, identity, I've never done identity verification. I don't even know what it is, right? And um, can I get first uh, uh, a couple of lessons on what identity verification is and how it fits into our customer acquisition strategy and what are the out business outcomes and that helps me with context around me implementing um, this product, right? So, and there's no reason that can't be delivered in an on-demand way, right? These series of videos that talk about um, the, uh, the the product that they bought, the solution, and, you know, what is the domain and what are we trying to accomplish? How are we going to measure it? Like all of that could be uh, one to many in, a, in an on-demand series. Yeah. And the, in LMS is is cool, not required though, right? Because if you're going to track it and say, okay, these customers have definitely gone through this and we need to confirm in the system that they've done it, that's one thing. But if you just want it available and you want to make sure that they've had an opportunity, you can even set that up in your knowledge base, right? And right. knowledge yeah. becomes part of your, your scalable stack there for, for delivering that. And the nice thing about that is now you're starting to, um, well, not starting to, you are directing them towards the community. Yeah. Right. And you're getting them used to it. Um, and you answer the questions with the knowledge base article, with the video, with the right. So you're driving them there. And then and then that is something that you typically are trying to solve for way down the customer journey path. And it's it's difficult at that point because they've never heard of it. They've never seen used it. They don't see the value necessarily um, or you got to educate them on it. But if you start it from the very beginning where they're very motivated, that sets you up for success on that track as well. Well, and you just triggered something for me too, because your team has to believe in that. They have to have that mindset of, hey, if I hear something, I got to write it down somewhere that it can be used again later. Maybe that may be the, the number one scalability hack that we all have available to us today without buying an ounce of technology, without changing anybody's job role or job title. It's like, let's, let's, um, let's use repeatable ways to communicate the same things. Because you know our CSMs, you have 35, 40 of them today you know, they're having very similar conversations with every customer. 
right? And to your point, can you point them to a resource as opposed to having a bespoke conversation every single time about it? Yeah, that's not scalable, right? Going back to the main topic here, that's not scalable. And I think the B2C, not I think, I know the B2C experience has informed what we expect out of a B2B experience. And so first thing I'm going to do if I have a question is go to the internet, type it in, you know, it's the Google search and, you know, I get a knowledge-based article that answers my question or I go to the community and I ask the question there. So there's a lot of these uh, expectations that B2C has driven and really good B2B experiences. So that's, that's the first place that you probably- That's a really answer. good, that's a really good point. I never thought like, people always say like our expectations are set based on the technology we use, which is really slick for B2C, right? Our apps on our phone, but it also goes the other way in our benefit, which is like, hey, we, we've got to provide the same level of visibility and access via Google search, via, you know, simple ways to get customer effort. You talked about customer effort. That's yeah. really a great way to think about it. Like how do you reduce that? By the way, for those who are listening, that's um, the Effortless Experience by Matt Dixon, who's been on this podcast before. Very good book. And we always recommend it. So I assume that's what you're maybe referring to when you're talking yeah, about Yeah, that's that. what I'm driving towards. Yeah, that's the, that's the hope. Oh, that's great. All right. So what, what other areas? I know like enablement, adoption, optimization, those are all places you've spent a lot of time, you know, optimizing the customer journey. But where else? Like what, what outside of onboarding and implementation, what's the next most important thing from your perspective from a scale standpoint? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, I... Well, predictive health scoring is super important, and that's kind of become a buzzword. Like, but it, to me, that means um, looking at the data, right, and being able to get an accurate health score based on the data. And the data could be, um, you know, Gainsight has a really good framework that we're using right now, um, and that could be uh, what you use. But getting it out of the customer sent CSM sentiment bucket, I think, is really important, um, mm -hmm. and that drives a lot of different things that are scalable and operationally efficient, right? If you can get the health score right. Um, I would say, I look at things that tend to thrash a company and onboarding was a great example because we we do take this, you know, all these resources assigned to onboarding a customer and it doesn't need to be that way. Um, they don't all have to be present all the time, right? You can design a customer journey that brings in the optimal resource at the optimal time, right? And so I look at that. Um, you can also look at your, your data to determine um, what are key indicators for what you're trying to accomplish? And what I mean by that is we have um, a theory that if we can get a customer to sign up to the community online, right? If we can get a customer to be a part of a user group, if we can get a customer to come to one of our events, one of three, one of those three or all three, let's look at the data and see what are the chances of them churning? Like, what is the data telling us, right? And I can tell you, that if we get a customer to come to the community, the the option, the um um the, the chance of them churning is much less. So let's make that a key result that we're driving towards during onboarding, right? Uh, yep. Because that's what the data tells us, and we'll measure that over time. Keep measuring it, make sure that that stays true. Um, the other thing that we look at scaling, um, and before we get to scaling, I look at operational efficiency. Like where are we getting thrashed around? And when I when I first get to companies, a lot of times it's escalations. And escalations are going to happen. It's part of the the customer journey, right? Yeah. We don't hope for them, but when they do happen, you have to be able to manage them in a way that's not all hands on deck, right? All hands on deck. I've seen Slack channels with 70 people to handle a customer. It's like, that is really expensive and it's not going to get us anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's where a CSM can really step in and manage that. And we can actually turn it into... Um, I always laugh when I when I say this because people tend to laugh. You probably won't. You'll understand. But we can turn escalations into opportunities, an opportunity to get aligned at the top because for sure an executive is going to be calling me. I look forward to that. You know, I've been trying to get a hold of them for a year yeah. now. They don't, you know, but now they want to talk to me. So I'm going to use that as an opportunity. And just the other week, I think it was last week, I was going through an escalation and I said, hey, you know, we're going to get through this. And when we do, um, how about you be a reference for us? And of course, the answer is, look, if you can get us through this, I'll do anything. You want a case study? You want a reference? I'll do anything. Just get us through this, right? And so yep. then that goes into their 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 file, right? And so um, I think getting really good at that and then being able to scale it is, is super important. 
Yeah, for, I hope for everybody listening to this, I hope it's going to be tens of thousands of people, who whoever it is, though, I hope they take what you just said and they apply that, because that is a really powerful thing. Just that simple statement you made that says, hey, look, I know this is, sucks. It's not what we wanted to happen, but we're here for you. We're going to get it fixed. And once we do, we'd love to have you as a reference. That is, I've done that too. Very, very powerful. And people never turn it down. I think it's called, uh, I don't know, what do they call it in the support world? Um service recovery or something like that. There's a, there's a formal term for it, but that's a real thing. And it, it, I always tell my kids too, it's actually, it's not what happens it's how you react to it. That's actually much more important or how you respond. And so um, there's been plenty of studies that show they're more loyal. Customers are more loyal to you after they've gone through something compared to if they never had gone through that negative experience to begin with. Right. If you can resolve it, and make it right, they are more loyal to you. And that that's, you know, for good reason, because it's, uh, you're taking them through a really tough time. And you proved that you could rise to the occasion when it was a challenge, right? Which not yeah. everybody has that opportunity or will do it the same way. And I think their expectations are, are, are along the lines of, you know, okay, these are just words. Can you really do it with actions? And when you do, they're kind of surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Today's episode is sponsored by Higher Logic Vanilla. Stuck in the past with one-to-one -one engagement? With Higher Logic Vanilla, it's time to move past the status quo and go one-to-many. We call it scaled customer success, and it starts with community. More than just forums, community is the destination for engagement, the place where customers become champions and build stronger connections. So let's go one-to-many together. Visit vanilla.higherlogic.com to shake up success. Um, no, that's great. Um, let's go back to the thing you mentioned about key indicators for a second, because I thought it was really interesting. And I think it does contribute to scale too. This is a, I forgot to mention at the top, but this is a whole series we're doing on scalable success. And so you mentioned key indicators. If you can get somebody to a, into the community, into an event, or you said one more thing, I can't remember. User groups. Your user group. Yeah. yeah. Which is maybe a subset of the community. Which is a sub, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like they're, you know, X times like more likely to renew when it, when it comes time. I think that a lot of the metrics we have for our CS teams are way too far away from where the, where the results actually happen. So what you just described there, maybe we should be measuring our teams more on activities that say, okay, like what percentage of your customers were engaged in one of those three activities this quarter? I need you to have that at 80% of making it up, right? And then that's how we judge our CSMs, maybe with a couple of other KPIs that look like that, much more focused on the leading indicators. So anyway, that piqued my interest. Have you um, experimented with that kind of concept much? And as you- I have, because the goal of higher NRR and making that like something you're trying to achieve is it just, it's one, it's like way down there and it's really an outcome of doing these things that I'm talking about, right? Um, and so it's measurable. You could do it within the quarter. You could spiff it as well, right? So other things that we've done is um, in executive connections. And I, I can say this because I was a CSM, but CSMs tend to be a little to a lot uncomfortable with establishing an executive connection, maybe maintaining it. They like to work at the admin level, which someone needs to. Um, but so the last quarter, we made it a uh, um, a goal of our teams to set me up or set a director up with one of the customer executives and we're spiffing off of it, right? Um, and so we've already done, you know, tens of these um, uh, meetings and and they could be 15 minutes, you know, it could be 30 minutes. I've had one that was an hour, um, but I'm not trying to take up the executive's time and trying to drive that connection, let them know I'm in escalation, but you're also my escalation. That's when your right. team doesn't show up to a meeting, you're going to hear from it, hear about it from me, because I can guarantee your team's not telling them, telling you that they're not showing up for meetings, right? So we hold them accountable. They hold us accountable. And um, we have an event coming up. And I called one of them and said, you know, hey, what do you think about speaking? Yeah, let's do it. So coming out and speaking at an event, right? Or doing this or that, that or can we be a reference? It can. So it from that first connection, all these great things can happen. And they will not churn likely the likelihood of them churning is much less because for a lot of good reasons, right? You could dig into them, but for one, they call me right away if there's an issue and we talk about it. It doesn't just sit there, right? And so I think that is a big part of it. 
the other part is that is the decision maker. And we did something interesting. I know we're getting on a tangent now, but I thought this was really interesting. Uh, we're working with a consulting company and what they did was they, we had an assumption that during renewal, these are the personas that are present. Decision maker, executive, right? Um, and admin. And what we found out is the admin, when we tried to confirm it, the admin said, no, I'm not involved in renewals half the time, right? Half the time we found out they're not involved in the renewal. And so that was a light bulb moment where we were doing this executive outreach. But what we learned is like, we should do be doing even more because that admin's not even involved during the renewal. So we're focusing on the admin too much, perhaps. Yeah, interesting. Wow, what a great insight. That right there, you know, all the articles that you read, all the, you know, the blogs, even in GGR, right? Don't take anything for granted because you really have to understand your own go-to-market. <laughs> Who are the players? Like who's involved and why? Like that's a really valuable insight you uncovered. And we got it wrong, right? Internally, it was, oh yeah, the admin's involved. The admin's involved. It was a hundred percent. We had the admin involved. And when we went to confirm that with customers, no, half the time they're not. Interesting. So it's interesting. Yeah. Well, did it make you rethink your your CS strategy at all in terms of where you spend your time? Absolutely. It made me want to put push um, push on the uh, the gas a little bit more, a lot more on the executive connection early on yeah. and why that's important. And then the executive connection, you know, across the customer journey for those customers that are already onboarded. But I think it's super easy to get a uh, executive connection during onboarding. They just yeah. signed, you know, they just went through the vendor evaluation. They just signed it. It's not out of uh, out of the ordinary for sales to say, hey, now that we're, you know, you're signed, you're a customer, I'm going to introduce you to your executive connection that will be, you know, post post signing uh, yeah. throughout the customer journey. Seems very natural. Yeah, that's so good, Mike. The, the whole thing I'm thinking about what you just told me is that it is a scale play to really understand your customers, right? To understand that the admin is not really involved in the decision whether or not to use your product. It means you might change your approach with them. Yeah, you have to support them. You have to continue. To, if they have a problem, you have to solve it, like we just talked about. But you may be able to scale more of the enablement for that role, right? Meaning it's all webinar-based. It's all community-based. It's all knowledge-based, based, as opposed to the high touch. And then you can optimize your resources for you really need the human touch, which in your case is going to be more at the senior manager, executive, whoever the sponsor is over that relationship level. Yeah, and we can run programs too at that level now, right? Where we weren't thinking about it before, scalable programs um, at the executive level, right? Because in the past, we were treating that more one-on-one, -on -one, um, but now we could scale that because we see why it's so important. Yeah, and they can come to your events and speakers like you just mentioned, like there's some really good really good stuff there. That's great. Okay, well, that's that's two really big ones. What about on the adoption side, optimization? Anything else come to mind? Yeah, change management. Um, and, you know, it's that is the future of customer success, right? Um, I think I've said that uh, uh, it's going to be called customer management. Um, and we're going to own a lot of the operational things related to customers. And, and adoption is is a big part of enabling and adopt, adoption for a customer is super important. Um, and you can scale that through community. Um, through these on-demand videos. Um, and uh, a lot of that needs to be focused on change management. So let me give you an example. Uh, most companies that we work with, they have a accounting software. Um, and so it's probably a rip and replace if we're coming in, right? Or they've used spreadsheets or they've had something, but what they're not, what our contacts are not prepared to do is to train their employees. Hey, it used to be this way. Now it's going to be this way. This is why it may seem like more work, but it's actually less. And this is why, right? And you're going to get hours back in your day. And this is why, you know? And, and so I think the first uh, reaction to change is just resistance. That's human nature. Um, but if you can get ahead of it and you could provide your customers with a change management uh, program that they can deliver, um, then it goes a long way towards adoption. You have less resistance and, and you're explaining the why versus rolling out software and say, you know, here's the button and they're looking for it, they can't find it, et cetera, right? So um, that's, a, that's a big piece that we're focused on. 
That's that's really cool. A lot of um, what I'm seeing on the sales side of things right now too is that we need we need to find scalable ways to to scale enablement on our solution that our champions have to deliver there. Same thing with existing customers or new customers, right? Because to the point you made earlier, you're always introducing new people into the relationship. Maybe the people who implement and administer your product aren't the same ones that made the purchase decision right. and signed the contract. So. Yeah, that's right. And the other piece that I realized is that uh, with the software, there is the uh, the our customers' customers are employees. So those are the users of the software, right? And so we use Pendo and having access to that data is is super important as well because we can let the customer know how their customers like the software and what they need out of the software, maybe areas that they, they can drive adoption uh, by making some improvements. Uh, so having that data is really important for a couple of reasons, ways that we can optimize, but also, you know, customers may have an issue with certain things that um, are, are, are core to your solution, but you could show them how their customers think the, the software is, is going, like how, how their experience is with the software. And a lot of times it's a lot better than what our, our, our contacts think. Right. So they may think it's not going well or that the users uh, don't like it because maybe they, they only get the complaints. But, yeah, you, you can have the like, Pendo data and that'll help drive uh, drive adoption, drive resistance, which is an, an impediment towards adoption. Right. When there's resistance to rolling out new things, because yeah. I don't know how my customers, the end users uh, like the software right now. So before I know that or before I roll something out, I need to know that. And then you have that data you can show. Yeah, that's great. Um all right. And so you talked about change management last topic, and then we'll we'll probably wind it down. But the change management externally is one thing with customers. But as you're putting these strategies and approaches in place, I'm sure, I mean, you've been at Inverse for nine months, right? There's there's also internal change management, things that, you know, maybe the CSM said, whoa, like that used to be something I did high touch. I always train the admin. And now we're saying you do that through a webinar or you let them you know, do, do a little bit of self-serve in the community, but how, how have you managed that internal check? That can sometimes be harder to overcome than the customer's perception because our teams are so entrenched in what they think and how we've done things in the past. So have you seen that and had you had to work around it, I guess, in your various career stops? Yeah. You know, there's the change management on your own team and then there's a change manage, management with the stakeholders that are all involved in the customer journey, right? Um, I think the change management on your own team is a little easier because you have more control over that. Um, I think there's uh, there's a little bit of a, the value that CSMs believe they're delivering is is high. And it is true, right? But if we're if you're clear when you're creating your annual operating plan, what is the charter? What are we going to get measured on, be measured on, right? And you have the right uh, metrics in there and we're all driving towards it, perhaps we're bonus on it, but we're all driving towards these metrics, it, there needs to be operational efficiency in there and scalability, right? As long as that's in there, it's a little easier um, to, to drive adoption among your team. Uh, one thing that I've been toying with is the idea of customer dynamic segmentation. Um, that is a big change, right? That's like pressing a button every quarter and a customer ends up in one of the four quadrants and it has a different CSM. Right. And then another thing I've been thinking about is like, do we need a, a CSM that handles escalations? And so when the customer is in an escalated state, they're passed to that CSM. Right. So that goes to the core of what um, CSMs believe their job is to build relationships and have this customer forever. Yeah. Um, and now we're doing the opposite. Right. Where we're operational efficiency and you can go to any CSM depending on their skill set. Yeah. yeah, that's um, interesting. So that's the that's my team. And then the harder thing, the more difficult thing is driving uh, stakeholder alignment um, across the org, right? And so the only way I've, I've known to do that, it takes a lot of time, um, but just a lot of communication, a lot of one-off meetings with the leaders, a lot of understanding their requirements. Um, a lot of times their job and whatever they're doing doesn't change. Um, it's really, you're building a program around them and you're allowing them to do what they do well. For example, customer onboarding, I don't want the implementation team to change what they're doing. I want it to be easier on them with less pressure and less communication with the customer. We can automate a lot of that, right? Now you do what you do well, and we will make sure that we build a program around that. So it's a lot of showing that 
um, the change is happening around them, but it's helping drive the metrics that they care about. Yeah, that's that's great, ma'am. Yeah, that's right. I think a lot of the customer success leaders can relate to this where you want to do a lot of scalable programs, you want to do a lot of exciting things, but you're dependent on different groups. I'll give you an example. There's a data analyst group, there's a marketing group, there's an ops team, right? And now I have to get in line for those resources. And we all know customer success is not at the top of that list. And so it's really difficult to get those resources, especially the timing of the resources, right? All at once for your program you want to run. And so what I found is uh, building those resources into your team um, so that you have a data analyst that understands customers, that understands CSMs, the persona of CSMs, um, that understands our data. And of course, their function, visualizing and understanding data is, is table stakes for a data analysts. Um, and then on the marketing side, maybe it's a content marketer, a customer marketer uh, that sits on your team. Um, and then an ops person that is not a general ops person, but a customer success ops person, right? Um, having all those functions at your uh, uh, within your, your reach and being able to uh, drive their roadmap and what they're working on is, is super important because what's going to happen is you're just going to be very delayed in the programs that you want to roll out. Um, and it's not going to be this year, it'll be next year. And, you know, you won't have a, a specialized data analyst that understands the things that I mentioned. Same with ops. They understand customers, they understand CSM, they understand the data, they understand the terms, they understand you and how you want to visualize things. Uh, mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of different ways you can visualize things, which is, yeah, they did it. They checked the box. This is a visualized, uh, um, you know, a customer journey map, for example, right? Technically. It yep. is, but I can't interact with it. It's really hard to get insights, et cetera. Yeah. You know, that that last part I think is so important. I literally just had a conversation about this today with someone who runs my our our combined RevOps teams at Higher Logic. And what you really need in operations is you don't need an order taker. Because that means you have to come up with all the ideas and your management team has to decide what to do. You need somebody who's op who's thinking about the operations every day, looking at the systems, looking at the goals of what we're trying to achieve and the obstacles that we have to achieving them and saying, hey, look, here's some, here's here are the top three ideas I have for improving this situation that we have or making this better. I, I need a free agent who's running around the building, quote unquote, doing that proactively beside me as opposed to a shared resource like you said like i don't want to submit a ticket for that that's tough and i don't know how you feel about this i want to hear your perspective on it i'd rather sacrifice a csm role to have that ops role because it makes everybody more efficient over time and so i've done that with many different types of roles including renewals over time so how does that land on you? Yeah, I mean that last part was 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 great, and that's what I that's how I think about it is that um, it's more scalable. My team's more scalable. We're doing more things. I would sacrifice a CSM uh, headcount, increment headcount for a data analyst. I want to get to the point, and I was at this point at my tech where I had a customer success data analyst, and I could say, "Here's the problem I'm trying to solve for. You figure out how." You figure out how because he knows me, he knows our data, he knows our customers, he knows our CSMs. And I don't tell him how to do it. He did it. And we would have meetings to say, okay, this is what I'm thinking. This is where I'm at. Okay, it's finalized, right? Um, versus what you called an order, order, uh, what is it, order taker? Yeah. taker? Yeah. yeah, where it's like, okay, well, send me in a PowerPoint the visualization you want with very specific, you know, what's the x-axis, axis, y-axis, is a pie chart, et cetera. And they'll put it together, but they don't understand customers, customer success. They don't understand me or CSMs, right? So it looks very different in that way. Yeah. And, and it and it feels different to consume. And it's like, okay, well, I told you this, but what I really meant was that. And you you need somebody with some critical thinking skills, right? Yeah. Can... And that understands me that, you know, just because I said do it this way, that's not the best way to do it because maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Right? Yeah. Like call me so, on it, right? Because I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I want an opinion. It's like, no, I think we should do it this way. And that happened all the time. And actually, that's when I stopped telling them how to do it. Because I was like, he's way better at this than me. So this is great. You know, you just do it. Yeah. Great. And you mentioned, so data analytics, operations around the systems themselves, the configuration, and then um, content 
creation. That's a yeah, that's content's a key, right? With uh, especially with scaling, and so marketing is going to be focused on net new. And I mean, I you know, if they have leftover time, sure, maybe I get some, but I have to plan that I won't get a ton of time because they will be focused on net new or on driving revenue for existing, but not necessarily adoption, not necessarily customer experience, not necessarily those types of things, right? Um, and so having that own resource on my team to create the content is good. See, some CSMs are great at creating content. Um, I'm certainly not. Um, I would say not um, a majority of a customer success team is really great at creating content. And it's not what we do. And so it's good to have an expert in-house uh, or in on your team that can do that. Yeah. It's... Um... Going back to this idea of the full stack CSM, I think customer success is such a generic term for all the work that actually gets done with in, I like the way you put it earlier to customer management, as you're managing customers, you know, you have to communicate with them, you have to do it in scale, you have to do it one on one CSMs are better at one on one, somebody with a marketing background is probably better at putting together a either a blog article or a webinar, right, somebody who knows how to think about the engagement that that creates and the the experience that that creates on the other end for the user. So the cool thing is most CSMs, in my opinion, aren't just quote unquote CSMs, right? They, they have a specialty if you really dig and it might be one-to-one -one relationship management, but it actually might be like, we have people on our team who are CSMs and we're like, wow, like these people are really good at creating webinars that, that scale things. So let's let them do more of that and help everybody out. Yeah, that's a great point. And you can go to their LinkedIn and you could see, yeah. right? And if not, you could talk to them. You know, what's their experience been? And I, I'm a big believer in um, focusing less on, hey, you're weak here. I'd like you to improve versus you're strong here. Let's exploit that, right? Yeah. I think that's that's way more exciting. Um, and that that's where I want to uh, want to focus. And I do that when I'm building a team, just diversity in all ways, including that, uh, that work experience. I love that, man. I love it. And that... It gives me more freedom the older I get to. It's like, you know what? I don't care if I suck at whatever it is over there. I'm just going to do the thing that I'm really good at. That's and right. And another piece of scalability is also, um, you know, we're all overwhelmed with meetings. And so I push my team to cut their meetings by 25%, right? Especially my directors. And that gives you a lot, lot more time back. But I think there's a lot of uh, over, um, I guess, over delivering for customers when we're not really driving a metric we care about over delivering internally when we're not driving a metric we care about. And so there's a lot of things that, you know, of course we know what we have to do, but we don't know what we don't have to do. And so I push my team to figure out what that part is. What don't you have to do today? Right. And just, and cut it out because you, you don't have enough time to do all that. Yeah. I like that concept a lot. Um, I, uh, I always tell this story. Maybe you've seen me write about it before, but I started at a, at a company, you know, way back in the early teens. And um, I was, you know, getting to know everybody on the implementation team. And I was shadowing one of our implementation managers at the time. She was showing me how she entered in all her time into Salesforce, this awful little Salesforce add-in. Every week, she was like, yeah, I spend like two hours a week doing this. I'm like, really? Two hours out of 40-ish, you spend entering your time into this thing? She's like, yeah, management needs it for the reporting and the data, I guess. And I was like, well... I'm management. Nobody's ever told me about a report that comes from this. So how about this? Why don't you just stop doing that for two mm -hmm. weeks? Mm -hmm. And I'm management will come tell you. <laughs> I'm saying air quotes management, yeah, yeah. you know, watching this. Um, and we'll we'll see if anything blows up. And guess what? Nothing blew up because nobody was looking at that data. She was just doing what she was told every week, which I, I commend, but that's a management failure, not her failure, right? So correct, yeah. Everybody, we saved everybody a bunch of time. Two hours, and you see that on the customer side. Same, similar, similar example at, at my tech. It was, you know, hey, I deliver these reports every every week. You know, stop doing it, and let's see if they say anything. They didn't say anything, so now she got two hours back every week. That's a lot of time, right? And so it's it's really uh, really interesting how um, how you know they're doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Right. As far as they were told, but you need to be able to help guide them there. Yeah. So that's really important. I think one of the most important skills in all of customer success, and this is a little bit trite to say, but it's just leadership. Like we need good leaders. 
just like you have good leaders in sales and good leaders in product. Every function needs great leaders, but that's what, what great leaders do. They look at the work that their teams are doing. They look at the goals that they have and say, okay, they're either aligned or they're not aligned and I'm going to move them toward alignment so I can maximize my chances of reaching that goal. And that that is not customer success. That's just leadership and management skill set. Right. That's business leadership and it's um, or just plain leadership. Right. And I think it's it's understanding that things aren't static. That report may have been good during an escalation, but you continued it. Right. And I think one of so my favorite pod, my favorite episode you had was the meetings one, um, because it's so overlooked both internally and externally. And it makes such a big difference. I'd encourage everyone to listen to that many times and implement it um, because it's foundational. And you can't scale unless you can do those types of things. Yeah, right? that's right. Blocking yeah. and tackling, right? Yeah, I mean, that's right. Make good decisions. All right, we'll link to that episode in the show notes here if people want to pick right. it up. So, all right, it's been a great conversation. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Where where can uh, where can people connect with you if they want to do that? Yeah, LinkedIn is is uh, a great place to find me. Um, I'm uh, I check all my messages so. Uh, if you were to message me on, on LinkedIn, I'm definitely going to gonna respond. So that's probably the best place. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you doing it, man. And um, looking forward to getting to San Diego, hopefully. So actually, I'm coming to San Diego in uh, October, I think. So I'll have to, I'll hit oh, you up. Yeah, yeah that's pretty I'll, soon. We'll have to get together. Yeah. Let me know. Yeah, I play it close. Sounds good. Very cool. All right. Thanks a lot for your time, Mike. Thank have a good too. afternoon. Hey everybody, Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Um, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd, we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast. Leave us a rating or a review on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community. It's gaingrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one -on -one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, be on the lookout also for live events, both in-person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon.